Hey, it's podcast producer Bobby Richards. And before we jump into today's episode, here is Donald Miller with some exciting news around our upcoming Coach Builder Summit that's happening February 1st and 2nd. It's the ultimate live stream for coaches, consultants, financial advisors, physical trainers, therapists, counselors. I would consider a coach anybody who sells their wisdom. Anybody who sells their knowledge and their, you know, their coaching, their ability to help you transform into somebody else based on the knowledge that they have, to me, that's a coach. At the summit, Amy Porterfield is going to be with us. Will Gadara, who's who wrote the book Unreasonable Hospitality, you know, Will started Eleven Madison Park, became the number one restaurant in the world. He is going to be with us for Coach Builder Summit and a ton of other celebrities that you're going to love hearing from. If any part of you thinks that you could pivot your career into a coaching career, you've got to attend the summit. That's all we're going to talk about all day long. Go to coachbuilder.com slash coach summit, coachbuilder.com slash coach summit. Again, if you've ever thought about building a coaching business as a side hustle that hopefully will take over your life, go to coachbuilder.com slash coach summit and sign up today. It is going to be an awesome year, but only if you are prepared. Welcome to the Business Made Simple Podcast, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. I'm your host, Donald Miller. Happy New Year, everybody. If you've listened to this podcast for long, you know that we are well overdue for a recession. I mean, there's usually a sort of a an adjustment in the economic flow of things every eight to 10 years. It's been closer to 20 years. And at one point, speculators, based on what the Fed is doing, said we've got about a 60 to 70 percent chance of a recession. I'm not sure where we are right now, what that percentage chance is, but the chances of us being you know, disrupted economically are relatively high. And that means your personal revenue could go down. And we're going to replay an episode, episode 108 with Alex Hermosi who I think did the best interview I've had on you know, strategizing this, this disruption. What can you personally do to make sure your GDP doesn't shrink? And so we're going to replay that episode going into the new year because I want to give you the best possible foundation and the brightest possible point of light at the end of the tunnel that you can run towards. So you're going to love this episode if you want to be prepared for economic disruption. Hey, it's podcast producer Bobby Richards. And did you know that HubSpot launched an AI chatbot that helps you build awesome campaigns at scale with just a few prompts? They did. And it's called Campaign Assistant. And it's a totally free to use AI tool that will transform the way you build marketing campaigns at scale. And here's the best part. It works seamlessly with all of HubSpot's marketing and sales tools to scale your output across email, social, and more. So AI your way to your most effective campaigns yet at HubSpot.com slash campaign dash assistant. Alex, so good to finally have you on the show. I'm very honored to be here. Thank you for having me. I got to put in a plug right away for your Instagram. It's amazing business advice, really good life advice, but it's also just really funny and entertaining. <laughs> you can name five maybe business figures who are entertaining and actually can make you some dough. So if you're not following Alex, it's at Hormozi, H-O-R-M-O-Z-I. 
You'll thank me. Uh, a lot of our listeners are familiar uh, with you. And if they're not, they should go get $100 million offers is the name of the book. One of the better business books I've ever read uh, and probably number one in terms of the most practically applicable. Every 10 or 15 minutes, I felt like you were making me money. I wanted to ask you a question. The reason we brought you on today is because a lot of people are saying we're going into a recession and uh, we're probably in pre-recession kind of uh, figures right now. And some folks uh, are saying we're not going to have a recession. We're going to have a global depression. So the news is either sad or devastating. <laughs> and uh, I'm wondering, you know, from your perspective, how does a small business make money during a recession? What, what are the things that you would be looking out for? Well, it's a great question. Super pumped for it. I was, I was thinking through like the different frameworks that I'd talk through this. And I think there's four. And maybe there'll be a fifth as we go, but the, <laughs> the four big ones. And so the first one is expectations. The second is the personal side. Uh, third is more. And the fourth is better. Okay. Let's start with expectations. So expectations. So I think one of the big things, and you know, just for context for everybody here, I have some good news. The good news is that if by chance you were in a business that was adversely affected by COVID, and so I was heavily invested, all three of my companies uh, that I, I sold in 2021, but during 2020, uh, were gym and brick and mortar focused, and almost all of them were not allowed to be in business. And so if you were in one of those situations, you have the benefit of having gone through 100% depression. <laughs> yeah. Like the gyms weren't even allowed to do business, right? And so yeah. a 20, 30, 40, even 50% you know, recession is still better than not being able to do business at all. Right. So that's point one. If you made it through, then some of the, the belt tightening that you did will serve you again. The second thing underneath of expectations is that the people who have something to fear are the bottom third. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes a depressed, like if you look at recession, it's not everybody necessarily going down by 30%, but maybe the bottom 30% going down by 100%. And then their assets, their customers, et cetera, being redistributed to everybody else who's above them. Who's Who do you mean by the bottom 30%? Is that, are the people living If you've living got 100 there? restaurants in a market. Got it. The bottom 30 are going to go out. They're going to disproportionately suffer from the top restaurant in the market will still be booked. Got it. So the upper middle class and middle class are going to have money. And I mean, is that another way to look at it? I think about it only from the small business perspective. I'm you're You're more macro than I am when it comes to that stuff. I'm just thinking... If I'm looking at a market with 100 gyms or 100 restaurants, 100 dry cleaners, bottom 30, they're the ones who are at risk. Yeah. So it's a great time to make sure you're in the top 70. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't even think you have to be in the top 10%. I think if you're just above, if you're just not the top, the bottom third, then you're, you'll, you'll be okay. You'll make it through. You might not make as much money as you want, but you'll, you'll make it through. Is a positive way of looking that, do, do you think it's also true that the, the, the competition is going to become a little more sparse? Is that a positive? So you're going to have less competition if you're a gym owner or a restaurant owner? Yeah, I see. I, see, I mean, these are natural cycles. And I think that the economy in a lot of ways is a cool like hybrid between organic and math. You know what I right, mean? Right, right. Um, and any, any system that grows uncontrollably is a cancer, right? And so it makes sense that there's pruning periods to improve the overall system. There are many people who made money over the last 10 years who really didn't deserve to be in business, but there was so much money going around, it was easy. And so the silver lining on the 30% going out of business, which is what I'm kind of talking about, the bottom third being disproportionately hit by a recession or a downturn, is that it's actually pretty easy to not be in the bottom third. You just got to do stuff, 
right? And you got to do it consistently. And we'll, we'll talk about in the, in, in, the, in the other three pieces. But what I want to wrap up the expectations piece with is this. If you have aggressive growth goals, you may be able to hit them. But if your market shrinks by 30% and your revenue and profit are flat, you are growing relative to the market. That's right. And since everyone compares themselves to everyone else, you are improving in your standing. Yes. And so I think if you can simply shift that expectation where maintenance is the new growth. Now, I'm not saying that you say that to your team and I'm not saying that, uh, you know, you declare that publicly, but to yourself when you're alone at night, when you're beating yourself up for not being as good as you want to be, you can use that a little bit and it'll soften the pillow. That's a that's a great way to look at it. And also just psychologically to say, we're going, we're going to survive this we're, and we might even thrive. We're not going down. We're going to make a decision not to go down. We're going to commit. All right. So personal, what do you mean by personal in terms of getting ready for a recession? So that's, that's the tightening of the belt because most of the people who are in my audience are business owners. And so I talk mostly to those people. And so if you're in the audience, that's, that's, I'm talking to you. Small business owners' personal finances are often inextricably linked with their business. They make personal guarantees on the buildings. They have to back the loans if they're if they're getting them. They're, you know, you are linked. And if payroll, if you don't have enough money in the bank account for payroll, where does it come from? Your personal account, right? And so the idea is thinking about your overhead at large, not just your business overhead, but your life overhead. So you still got to pay the rent at your place for your business, and you got to pay the rent or your mortgage for your your home. Right. And so this is where it's kind of important, in my opinion, to be very thoughtful with our expenses, because if you think about dollars to dollars, right, every dollar you spend today, if everything's going to go down by 30 or 50 percent, is worth two dollars tomorrow. And so everything that you spend money on, it, you're, you're buying it at a premium. So save the money because it'll be worth more very quickly. Yeah. Right. So it's now it's a time to be very, very thoughtful with our expenses and look really hard at all the personal sides so that if you can get your personal side to almost nothing, then I can tell you that your business stress will go down because you're not as concerned about cash flowing your lifestyle. I love it. And if you can put money away, if you're in a position to put away some money right now, do it. Yeah. Do you, do, I mean, would you be, would you be selling off some assets at all to make a little savings? I mean, would you sell some real estate knowing that there's, you know, I read an article this morning, we're probably in another bubble, real estate's going to decline. Would you be selling off some assets and, and putting away some money? I think it depends on the market where my real estate's in. Because so I think yeah. if it's very micro, uh, market to market, I think it depends on the personal situation. I'm super liquid right now. I, we, we sold all our assets in December of 2021. So we were, I was like, this is too frothy. Let's get out of all this stuff and let's just wait. By frothy, you mean the market was overpriced, real estate yeah. was overpriced. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we sold. We sold. Literally, I sold all my houses, all my cars, and I sold all my businesses. I sold everything in 2021. Hmm. And so, I'll tell you a, a, a tactical tip that will be helpful for some of you. If you have cash in the bank account right now, and on the on the coattails of FTX going down recently, which you know made a lot of news. There will be more things like that that come out of nowhere. And so my recommendation is not to have the majority of your cash in a bank account, but instead to take everything beyond what your month-to-month -month living expenses, maybe times two or three, and put it into treasuries. And the reason I say that is for two things. One is that I'm not saying that the treasury is an investment vehicle. I'm saying treat the treasury like a bank account. Because hmm. if you're not sure what you're going to do with the cash, put it in somewhere that is both safer and pays you more. Because what's more likely to go out of business, a bank or the United States government? The bank. Which one pays you more? The bank or the United States government? The United States government. And from a liquidity standpoint, 
Treasuries are very easy to trade in and out of, and you can also take loans up to 80% against those at super, super low rates. And so for me, I use that as my bank account that I, I keep my cash in, and I'm right now in a wait and see, but at least this way you're getting something for the money that's better than the point. And if you want an extra tactic on this, what I recommend doing is buying six, 12, 18, and 24 month bonds, and then cycling them. So you're not trading them, because listen, this isn't your business, you're not a bonds trader. You're buying them at that interval so that every six months you get a pop with interest that comes due, and then you buy the 24 at a better rate. Gotcha. Okay, so wait, now, now I, I understand they come due and you can actually cash in on them or- yeah put them back in, but you explain to me the buying the 24 at a better rate. Yeah. And then you buy and well, 24 months are usually going to be a better rate than a six month. Month, Gotcha. So if the six months, if it, if it matures, then you can do something bigger if you want. But regardless, you have money coming in six months if you get into trouble. But then within 24 months, you always have the 24 month rate that's coming back to you every six months. The Gold Digger Podcast, hosted by Jenna Kutcher, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Here at Business Made Simple, we are Team Jenna all the way. We love her show, and we love how it helps you discover your dream career through productivity tips, social strategies, business hacks, inspirational stories. I mean, there's so much that show delivers each week. In a recent episode you should go check out titled, If You Want Bigger Results, You Have to Do This, Jenna gets real talking about how when you're aiming for a goal, you're only going to hit it if you have an informed plan. She also talks about how to get that plan from consistently looking at what is and isn't working. Then on top of all that, she breaks down what she measures when creating a plan, why she measures it, and then how you can immediately start doing the same thing and measuring your results. Go listen to Gold Digger wherever you get your podcasts. And now back to the show. So number one was resetting expectations. Um, Number two was getting your personal stuff airtight. Don't become a liability to your business, right? Because like you only want one liability. Don't have two. Don't be one of them, right? Right, right, right? The third thing is more. And so the difference is that during a recession, it's not that the stuff that worked not during a recession stops working. It just doesn't work as well. And so you need to do more. And so you need to reset, and this is kind of an expectation thing, but like you need to reset your expectations, which is if I need to do a hundred reach outs in order to get a customer, I need to do 200 to get the same amount. If I need to spend a hundred dollars a day in advertising, I need to spend $200 a day in advertising. If I need to make 10 pieces of content a week to get a certain amount of inbound, I need to make 20 pieces of content a week. What is the, or if I need to recruit affiliates, or I need to get a, you know, a referral program, or I need to hire an agency at a certain amount, whatever it is, right? Whatever your way of getting customers is, it's cutting the efficiency in half. Now you're like, well, how can I do that with my overhead? That'll be 0.4 in a second. But resetting the expectation of inputs and outputs in the system, you will get less leverage because of the recession. There's just a lower response rate overall, lower conversion rates, lower amount of cash down when you when your people are making purchases by, through the whole system. And so just expect a 50% drop. Now, if you can make up for that with double the inputs, then you won't see a change. Now, again, what do you think the bottom 30% are going to do? Well, they're going to quit. Yeah, exactly. They're going to quit. They're going to they're going to throw in the towel as soon as they they see a dragon coming, right? So that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I love that for our small business owners because there is a sort of psychological uh death rattle that you sort of hear in the back of your imagination and you think this is over. But what you're saying is fight. You're saying come out swinging, yeah. swing hard. So I have some re- interesting data on this. So when we when COVID happened, I think it was 25 or 30% of gyms went out of business total. But I would say two thirds of that happened in the first month. 
<laughs> Here's what's crazy. Here's what's crazy. They just quit? And it, it, I mean, it's exactly that. And so this is my theory on it. So I, I, I can't prove this, but this is my theory. There are many small business owners, and if this resonates with you, then toughen up. There are many people who are waiting for a reasonable excuse to fail. Mm. They were waiting for COVID to happen so they could raise their arms up and be like, COVID. And everyone's like, you know what? That's reasonable. And you know what? It's even worse. It is reasonable. But you know what also doesn't matter? The fact that it's reasonable or not. You're still, at the end of the day, you're going to look back and it's going to be an L. Yeah. It's going to be a loss. And so like- And the government, by the way, is not coming to rescue you this time. Yeah. When you print, you know, print a gazillion dollars. You know, stuff, <laughs> stuff Funny things take place. Yeah. And so the fact that your excuses are valid doesn't make them worth listening to. Yeah. That's the point. Okay. I love it. And then finally, better. Yes. Do things better. Do you mean do things more efficiently or figure out how to streamline your operation so you can get more done in less time and then still work more anyway? Yeah. <laughs> all, all of those. Because <laughs> if, if you double your inputs and you improve your efficiency, you can make up for it. If you know that your inputs for cost to acquire are going to double, right? let's just say that that's the, that's the fact that we're going to live with. Now, that might not be true or not. It might be less than that. But let's just let, let's peg a double, right? So what it means is we have to figure out a way to double our gross margin or cut our, cut our costs in half. And so the thing is, is people think that that means you have to pay people less. That's the lowest IQ way of solving the problem, right? Is cut the workforce, cut pay, right? There are far better ways of solving the problem. Oftentimes, it comes from using different forms of leverage. And so one of those forms of leverage is media. If there's portions of your service delivery that can be automated with recordings, things like that, you implement those things. If there's a way that you can automate a business process using things like Zapier or using CRM tools, and you have a one-time expense that automates a role or half of somebody's time, that is something that's worth, worth investing in. If we're looking at our services... We want to think, are there additional services that I can offer that I don't have to do much for that I can still collect money on? I'll give you I'll give you a fun example. So if you currently offer a guarantee on anything you sell, you could choose to pull off the guarantee and charge for it. Hmm. So just charge, you know, charge $29.95 for a guarantee on this or a, we call it a warranty or whatever. That's interesting. Yeah, guarantee is, yeah, exactly. It's a guarantee is a warranty. It's a different way of saying it. And so, and typically it's five to 10% of the purchase price. If you guys are curious what, what that number looks like, it's usually, but the thing is this, it's air, it's all margin. You were doing it anyways. And if you want to, you can parse that out and then include it for, uh, you only get the guarantee if you do prepayment, if you want prepaid service, you want to improve your cash flow. So start thinking about cash flow as the oxygen of the business and start thinking, is there ways that I can incentivize someone to prepay? right? For services and whatnot. So you can start dragging some of that AR, those accounts receivable from the future into the present. So I think that's where it start, we start being just strategic. Like, let's think creatively here. Are there things that we could sell? Is there sawdust in the facility that we could sell that we're already doing that costs no operational drag that we could monetize? A. B. Can we add leverage to the system by automating certain portions of the work? C. The better from a, from a leverage perspective. So one of the companies in our portfolio, uh, it's a big company, it's about 80 million a year. We were able to double the LTV per customer from 2000 to 39, it's a consumer business, to $3,900. And one of the sayings I love is there's no silver bullets, only 100 golden BBs. <laughs> yeah. And so there's no one thing. Everybody wants the one thing. If there were a one thing, everyone would do it. And that's why it's not true. But what there are is we implemented a better onboarding process. We had a clearer step-by-step -step customer journey. We had ascension points and call to actions repeated more times throughout the customer journey. And we added in uh, an upsell that was low operational drag that 20% of the customers chose to take. And by doing all of those things together, 
we'd almost doubled the LTV per customer. But the crazy thing is that that extra $2,000 was all profit. Yeah. And so the actual net profit of the business, so like, here's the fun example I like to use with this. If you sell something for, you know, let's say a thousand bucks and you sell 10, 10 customers a month, right? You're, you're doing 10 grand a month. If you could double the number of customers, option A, option B, double uh, the, the lifetime value in terms of like how many times they buy, or C, double the price, which would you choose? I, when I ask this in an audience, it, it, I get a mix of one, two, and three, all sort of the yeah. price. I'm going with two, by the way. If I'm in the audience, okay, I, okay. I think the money's in two. Because three, you're going to lose some customers. One, who cares? Okay, I should have put the assumption. The assumption is you sell the same amount of customers. Sorry. Oh, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's tough between two and three. You're yeah. going to go with one, aren't you? I'm going to go with three. Ah, so you double your, double your price and you get the same number of customers. Well, it's bigger than doubling the lifetime value, but in the lifetime, I guess lifetime value comes before you double the price. Yeah. Right. So the, the, key, so the key here would be doubling number of customers doubles revenue. Doubling LTV doubles revenue. Doubling the price also doubles revenue. But one of them, let's say you had a 20% margin business. If the cost of fulfill remained the same and you had a 20% yeah. margin uh, business and you right. double the price, yeah. you 6x the profit. You don't 6x the profit when you double the amount of customers. Now, the door two is superior to door one because what happens is your cost to acquire remains the same. And so you still have more money once, basically once the life cycle earns out, there's still more profit left over, but not as much as doubling the price overall because the cost to fulfill um, remains fixed. That sounds great. Any marketing messages? I've got expectation personal, more and better. Any marketing messages? I, I have some ideas on this, but I want to hear from you. I think in a, in a nutshell, uh, you're selling life rafts, not, not opportunity. There you go. Yeah, I've said that many times. Position your product as a life raft. And if, you've, if you sell life rafts on the Titanic, you're going to make a killing. You sell security now. Yeah. You sell don't lose what you've got. Wow, that's a great way to say it. You know, you know what? I, tell me what you think of this. I, I learned this a long time ago, and it's worked well for me. And it, it may be because I'm business to business, but I think there are plenty of other ways to do it. Even restaurants could do this. Sell money. Always. Yeah. yeah sell money. So, you know, if you have a, you know, uh, a buffet, sell a family trip to the buffet for $50 in and out of there, whatever, and think how much money you'll save on your weekly grocery budget or what I don't know. But you know, sell money, apply it back to saving or making money because people are thinking about money and you don't want them to think about costs. You want them to think about investment and return. I'll give a, I'll give a flavor on that okay. that might help with the B2C side. So B2B, we're always in the make money business. You're selling a business on yeah, how to yeah. make more money one way or another. For the consumer side, I think time. Saving time. So it's all about speed. Right. So it's like they could use that time to go work more and make more money. They could use that time to like one of my favorite business models in the world is look what everyone else is doing and do it in half the time. Right. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when you yeah. really think about it, yeah. like if somebody else can get you leads in 60 days because they do a bunch of work, get them leads in 14. You'll have more business. You know I what I mean? It. If you can do dry cleaning, everybody else does it in three days, do it in a day. Like you're like, well, how do I do that? Well, that's the problem that you just get paid to solve. And when I think about problems, I like to think about price tags associated with them because sometimes I'm like, man, that sounds hard. But I'm like, well, I might get paid a million dollars to solve this problem. Okay. Well, now, now it's worth doing the work for. Or I might say it gets paid a hundred million dollars to solve this problem. Then all of a sudden the, the scope of the problem and the resources I'm willing to dedicate to solving it improve because I know that I'm creating a competitive mode that long-term is going to pay me back. I love it. 
It's not only possible to survive during a recession, it's, it's possible to thrive. And uh, I can't remember who said it, but one of my favorite quotes is, don't waste a good crisis. <laughs> politician. <laughs> Probably some sort of politician. <laughs> Alex, great having you on the show. Where can people find out more about you? I've got a podcast. If you're a podcaster, just type in my name, you'll find it. And uh, if you're a watcher, uh, YouTube, I have a pretty, pretty big channel there. Uh, so you just, again, you can type in my name on pretty much every platform. We're on Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn, Instagram. I've got an email list. I've got a book, you know, pick whatever way you like consuming info. We've got it. Sounds good. Alex Hormozzi, H-O-R-M-O-Z-I, a new friend, a guy I respect tremendously. Thanks for coming on the show. It's mutual. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very honored to be here. I love the guy. Lots of fun. You know, it's you tend to become like the people you hang out with. And if you're hanging out with people who are just committed to to succeeding, to thriving, you're going to that's going to be catchy for you. And if you hang out with people who are saying, we're in for it, we're, we're all victims here, uh, good luck. <laughs> that's that's going to affect your psychology pretty tremendously. So, uh, you know, the whole episode was a plan of action. At the end of every episode, I give you a plan of action from today's coaching conversation. Now, these are the main takeaways you can immediately implement to strengthen and grow your business. And today's plan of action is go back and listen to the podcast because the whole freaking thing was a plan of action. And I I don't even want to sort of truncate or summarize the things that Alex said, because I just think they're so important. You can share this podcast with your team. However, because I want to give you even more value, I'm going to put some icing on the cake. There's one thing that I think you can do, and I literally mean get a notebook and sit down. You can do it right now while while we are talking that will dramatically increase the percentage chance that you thrive during a recession. And it's this rewrite your mission statement. You got to write it now. You got to write it today. You've got to talk to your team about it, have a little meeting about it, but finish this sentence. The sentence is, it's a new mission statement for your small business. Uh, I want you to write a new mission statement. I want you to throw away your old one because your old one stinks. And I want you to write a new one. Why does your old one stink? Because you don't even know what it is. You wrote it a long time ago on a napkin and it kind of made you cry. And then you forgot about it. And if you've forgotten your mission statement, you've forgotten your mission. The other thing that your mission statement didn't have, and the reason it stinks, is it didn't have an economic goal. It didn't have an economic objective that, that basically said, we're going to go make $5 million selling this to these people. Instead, it was, you know, we exist to serve the community. That, you know, I love all that. So that's all, it's really, really sweet. If you go into an economic recession like we're all going to go into, we need some, some economic objectives. We need to, to sort of look at the other side that we're swimming to and and, and put our eyes on that lighthouse and swim toward it with everything we've got. And, and because we're going to get hit financially, that need, there needs to be an economic goal lighthouse that we are heading toward. So I'm going to give you a mission statement. Now, if you already pre-ordered how to grow your small business, you got the audio summary and that audio summary has this formula for this mission statement in it. If you haven't, go to growyoursmallbusiness.com slash podcast Enter your receipt number, and I'll send you about an 80-minute audio summary of my new book. And and what I'm about to say is one of the things in there that can make you a ton of money. Here is the mission statement formula that I want you to fill in the blanks for. We will accomplish X by Y because of Z. We will accomplish X by Y because of Z. So three blanks, X, Y, and Z. We will accomplish X. Okay, what is X? X is three economic objectives that you can head toward. For instance, 
we're going to increase our revenue by 25%, increase our profit by 10%, and increase the number of leads by 100%. Those are economic objectives. You've got to actually choose three things that if you did those three things, your bottom line would actually grow. Uh, This was so powerful for us as a company that when we identified three economic objectives, we killed almost every other product because we realized the three most powerful things we do in terms of profit and revenue are these three things. Everything else, we're wasting a lot of bandwidth in marketing and and, uh, and productivity and all that kind of stuff, working on this other stuff. The real way we make money are these three ways. That's the question that you've got to ask before you write those three economic objectives is how do we really make money? Now, why only three? The reason that you want to choose three is because it's kind of the Pareto principle. 80% of your money probably comes from 20% of your products. 80% of your productivity probably comes from 20% of your work. Uh, it's, it's just a weird phenomenon that exists in the world. What you want to do is identify what that 20% is and focus on that. I promise you, if you are in business, you probably make most of your money off either three products or three divisions of your company. For instance, if you're a pet store, it's probably dog food, cat toys, and whatever else. One other thing is probably where you're making most of your money. And you need to identify that because once you identify it, you can reverse engineer all sorts of marketing and branding and, and, and upsales and sales scripts that focus on how you're really making money. And you can put them in your new mission statement. So we will accomplish X, our three economic objectives. Y by Y, the next blank, is a deadline. Now, this let's say that this recession uh, lasts for 24 months. So your economic objectives need to be 24 months from now. Within 24 months... We are going to accomplish this, this, and that. Now, I did make one mistake when I first used this formula. We were way too ambitious. And so what we did was we set a goal for two years away. A year later, we were 30% to that goal. And so what we did was we just pushed back the goal by one more year, kept the economic objectives the same, and are well on our way to accomplishing those things, and have reversed engineer strategies for us to hit them. I know how entrepreneurs think you're going to be super, super ambitious and you're going to go, we're going to grow by 250% by Thursday. And it's just not, you're going to burn out your team. They're going to get, and you're going to burn yourself out and then you're going to give up. So, so make these ambitious, but realistic. And then five or six months in, if you say, we're not really on track to do this, you want to push back either the deadline or adjust your economic objectives so that they are ambitious and realistic, not ambitious and unrealistic. Make sure they are still they still mean you improve that your bottom line grows, but don't go crazy with this otherwise you'll you'll ruin morale including your own. Then finally Z, we will accomplish X by Y because of Z and Z is the why. It's the reason that you are actually in business. Nobody is in business just to make money. There are plenty of ways I can make a ton of money. I just don't want to do it because it doesn't feel right in my heart. doesn't feel right in my soul. I, I like serving small business owners, and I like the sort of mutually beneficial win-win scenario that happens when I serve them. They pay me 275 bucks to be part of our online platform, and I help them make you know hopefully hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in return for that. I like that. Taking a bunch of money from people and 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 not solving a problem for them or serving them in some way doesn't light me up, and and I just don't like it. 
So when when I identified my Z, my because I, I'm in business because it is because every small business owner deserves the help they need to grow their business. So my the end of my mission statement is the reason that I have these economic objectives and I'm going to accomplish them by this deadline is because people are hurting and they need my help. They need our help as a company. Here's the formula again. We will accomplish X by Y because of Z. X, three economic objectives. Y is your deadline. And Z is the because or the problem that you solve for people. People will not have to suffer because we do this and that is why we do it. That mission statement, if you teach it to every person on your team, if you repeat it at the beginning of every meeting, if you paint it on your wall, that mission statement is going to change the way you do business and it's going to get you up off the couch and excited about the future because it's going to give you a vision for what life could be like. It's a very formal way of kind of setting a narrative goal. You're inviting yourself and your team into a story and you are much more likely to hit and accomplish and experience the climactic scene of that story if you write your mission statement and dive into it. That is my plan of action for you today. Write a new mission statement that prepares you to win during a recession. We will accomplish X by Y because of Z. All right. Thanks as always for listening to the Business Made Simple podcast, where we help you build your business like an airplane so you can fly it far and fast and not crash during a recession. See you next week.